With Pastor Brett this morning, I welcome you to Rivermont and encourage you to open your Bibles or one of the Pew Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 5, 6, and 7 as we continue our sermon series from the book of 1 Peter, Exiles in a Foreign Land. Today we'll be looking at this dynamic, the strength of humility. Now notice verse 5 flows out of the previous verses. This is where we were last week. It connects us to our passage today with this word, likewise. And so it simply reminds us that as the chapter opens, Peter specifically exhorts elders to shepherd God's flock with the right motivation, with the necessary maturity. Elders must have integrity of heart, the motive of love, the capacity to minister to God's flock by servant example. Elders as under shepherds, they love and follow Jesus, the chief shepherd of his flock, and they love and serve you. In our verses today, there's a general command for all of us to embrace a mutual meekness and mutual humility. We are to clothe ourselves with humility. We are to humble ourselves, casting our cares upon the God who cares for us so. So this is the reading of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in need of your grace to help us understand the depths and wonders of your love. We come to hear your voice and to learn how to be conformed to the image of your son. So please now speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You know, throughout the entire letter of first Peter, there is this ongoing call for a condition of heart and for a way of life that only makes sense if you are in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. For in relationship with the living God, what brings stability in life and glory to his name are his God given ability to help us enjoy three life dynamics. They are hope, love, and humility. You know, in hope, we are absolutely sure we will have a great reward in heaven. And so Peter calls us again and again to know and to act in a way that only can be explained by an unshakable, all-satisfying hope beyond this life. In love, as exiles Exiles in this foreign land, we care for each other in response to God's love for us. Knowing that we all experience trial and hardship along with joy and encouragements, we love as Christ has loved us. In humility, we become who we are in Christ, in the presence of God and before one another, nothing more, nothing less. Now, humility can be defined as the absence of pride, a meekness in proper relationship in relationship to God and to others. C.S. Lewis describes humility not as thinking less of ourselves. It's not low self-esteem, but rather as thinking 
of ourselves less often. Putting the needs of others before us. And as you know, biblical humility is not a virtue really exalted in our society. We seldom see books on humility in self-help sections of bookstores. Why? Because humility really only makes sense in our relationship to a holy and loving God. Take God out of the equation and the discussion of humility and kindness suffers. Now, as exiles in the foreign land, God is setting us apart from the world, though, while the world calls us to be a people of prestige and power. God's people embrace ambition to live as Jesus lived. Peter is our tutor on hope, love, humility, which is a little unique given his history. We'll come back to that in a moment. But the question as we start, why is humility worth pursuing? Well, We're all sinners saved by grace, being called into the presence of our heavenly fathers as his sons and daughters. And God can do amazing things in and through us as he captures and humbles our hearts. We also pursue humility as a trait that we see in Jesus Christ in that beautiful hymn in Philippians chapter two. That we are to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In our verses, verses this morning, I pray that you can follow the flow. There's a logic here. First of all, God is able to battle all those who lift themselves up. Now, that includes leaders in the church, by the way. And yet he gives unmerited favor, his grace to those who are meek and lowly. Those who are humble. Therefore, the flow continues. It is best by far to lower yourself under God's almighty hand as he deals with you effectively, that he may lift you up in his proper time rather than him doing that for you. Therefore, it is wise by far, it is best to lower to humble yourself, casting all your anxieties on him, knowing that he cares for you. There is peace, there is unity, there is strength in our humility before a holy God. And notice it starts in verse four with this idea of proper clothing. Yet we start even before that proper clothing with this word. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. I smile in some ways because submission is another quality not embraced by our culture. We all long to be independent. We long to be right. We long to have others not tell us what to do. Yet still, Peter says, be subject to the elders. And I want to ask you, as a people, are these tough words? Well, in the context of what Peter is stating, I hope they are not tough words. Why? Because we are subjecting ourselves to whom? To elders, to individuals who are committed to loving us, to elders who are themselves subject to one another and the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, to individuals who are eager to serve us. 
to those who desire to lead us with God's word, by prayer, by being an example of Jesus to his flock. And yet to place ourselves in the care of another, it goes against our self-sufficient tendencies. So Peter calls us, all of us, to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Now, this idea of clothing ourselves is fairly unique and it is a portrait of a servant putting on an apron before doing his or her task. It's a phrase that takes us back to Jesus in the upper room during the Last Supper when he enters that room and he washes his disciples' feet. Remember, he took the towel, he girded himself, and he served those that he had called to serve humanity. And here's the implication. Humility is the robe with which we all must gird ourselves as we serve one another in love. And now Peter is teaching us about humility, and it is a little bit unique. I think in some ways, he may have been thinking of what it was to be a young man some 30 years previous to his writing of these verses when he was in the upper room with Jesus. You know, it was a significant moment as Jesus gathers his disciples to prepare them for all the confusion that was about to occur as Jesus faced death and then the beauty of the resurrection. But listen. As the disciples prepared a place to celebrate this Passover feast, they missed one detail. Someone forgot to hire the servant boy who would wash the disciples' feet. Whose job was it? Awaiting Jesus, the men are doing little. The apostle seems to be thinking that we can overlook this detail of service. So we will simply recline and wait. So Jesus comes. He sees a dozen pair of dirty feet and also sees a dozen pride-filled hearts that wouldn't lower themselves to serve. He is hours before his death carrying the weight of the world, pride-filled the hearts of those who had chosen to bring the good news to the world. You can see it in all the events leading up to this moment in the disciples' lives. But now they are lounging around waiting. And of course, Jesus, without saying a word, Jesus washed the dirty feet of the self-focused, proud men. Now, as we come to verse 8, this is in John 13. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus says, I have to wash you all or you won't be clean at all. So Jesus said, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And as the story unfolds, this intimacy of the moment is broken because he says that one of you will betray me. And of course, that is Judas who goes off into the stillness of the night to to betray Jesus Christ. And this is when Peter, in arrogance, I think, or at least a little bit of pride, simply says, oh, Jesus, I will follow you. Well, I will even lay down my life for you. And Jesus rightly states, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow three times until you've denied me three times. And sure enough, when Jesus was being bitten, beaten, excuse me, Peter decides to go incognito. He denies Jesus three times, and this is likely Peter at his worst as a young and prideful man now filled with fear. Now, the Bible often speaks of our need to humble ourselves. 
Some think that humility is elusive because just when you think you're humble, you've lost it. And yet, biblically, I, I tend to now disagree. Because both Jesus and Paul called themselves humble. And Peter, 30 years after this night with Jesus, Jesus has reinstated him to love and to feed his sheep. This was 30 years prior to this time. He's calling us to humility today. We best know where we stand. The Apostle Paul identifies humility in 2 Corinthians by writing, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Humility is being aware of our own insufficiency. Humility is trusting in Christ's all-sufficiency. Again, humility is being who we really are in the presence of God, nothing more, nothing less. And so we don't miss it. Peter quotes the Proverbs. As Brett has shared this morning, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, nothing could be worse than to have God Himself set against you. Nothing, though, is more essential than receiving His grace and being humble. Oh, this strength of humility supports our unity in relationships. It blesses us in our outreach. It gives us a witness to the world of God's grace and love. What a blessing. But now we move to our second point. As we see the strength of our humility, there is this idea that we humble ourselves before the Lord who is our secure anchor. This is so straightforward. Listen again to verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. And here it comes. Since God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, it is best... To humble ourselves toward one another and especially under the mighty hand of God. It's best not to rise up and think ourselves equal with God. It's best not to fight the Lord. It's best not to contest His wisdom. Rather, be humble with what He brings, accept it from His hand. And it reminds me of Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It's a familiar verse. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You walk humbly with your God, which means that you walk under His mighty hand. Are you curious about the mighty hand of God? Well, the mighty hand of God in the Old Testament is a symbol of God's power and His sovereignty. It tells us that God is the one ultimately in charge. The mighty hand of God is God in charge of you and me. That's what it means. It's the power of God working in the experience of men and women, always accomplishing His gracious, loving purposes. And there you have a most secure anchor in life. Now, this mighty hand of God does mean different things at different times in terms of our experience. Sometimes the mighty hand of God delivers the believer from trouble. Hallelujah. Sometimes, though, the mighty hand of God protects us through a time of testing. It's a shelter rather than a deliverance. So we persevere. 
Sometimes, though, the mighty hand of God is a hand of discipline, bringing correction to those whom he loves. And I simply say, ow. We're prone, though, to doubt two things in a time of intense pressure and uncomfortable trial. We doubt God's sovereign control over circumstances. Where is God in all this? Or sometimes we doubt his concern for us. If God is in control and he cares, then why is this happening to me? Peter says that you ought to bow and acknowledge God's mighty hand unless you want him to do that for you. Ever been there? Well, I don't enjoy the mighty weight of God's hand. And I know through experience it's better to yield. So I pray that we all yield to his sovereignty and power. He is not asleep at the ham, helm when this trial hit, hit us. And I pray that we will all bow and affirm his loving care. And so as we prepare to leave this second point, I simply want to ask you, do any of us have a proud spirit to repent of? Am I angered or frustrated by the unfolding of the providence of God in my life? When I look back over the last 12 months with the events that I've just gone by or have transpired in my life recently, am I at peace that what, whatever happens, God will ultimately redeem? Do I see or am I longing to discover the wisdom of God in potential heartaches? You know, it's a remarkable thing to see, as implied in verse 6, that God's timing is the best timing. And oh, I pray for God's grace to help us to see His mighty hand at work. So therefore, humble yourselves under His mighty hand. And now we come to our last point. We put on our proper clothing. We shelter ourselves as in Him as a secure anchor. And one last point, there's this casting of cares in focused trust. Now, as you look at verse 7, you'll see that it begins with the participle. And it's rightly translating or translated that we are casting all of your anxieties on Him. Casting, participle. What that does, there is a connection between what he has told us in verse 6 and what he is telling us now in verse 7. There is a connection between humbling oneself before God and casting one's anxieties upon the Lord. Now, this word anxieties is fascinating. It comes from a word that means to divide. Anxieties, as you probably know, They divide our minds so that we cannot concentrate on anything very well. Someone has defined anxieties as worry. And worry acts as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Thus, anxieties distract us from the productive things God wants us to do. And it consumes us by diverting all of our thoughts into channels of fear. So God calls us. He calls you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 
Now, I've, I've wondered about this. Why is there a need of humbling associated with casting? And here it is. Because at the heart of anxiety is the proud notion that I can handle all things by myself. Have you ever been there? I mean, we all have a sinful tendency to lift ourselves up and to pull the Lord down, even in trusting Christ as Savior. Even as we talk about trusting Him for everything, when it comes right down to it, we really often trust ourselves and our ability to work our way through life's difficulties. At the root of this self-reliance is pride, and it will divide your soul. As a pastor, and as a brother in the Lord, I love to see fruitful ministry as we seek to glorify God in our worship, Discipleship and mission. It's a beautiful thing as I watch all of us seek the renewing of lives through God's compelling love in Lynchburg and the world. And that's part of what you'll see at our ministry fair today. But there's beauty as you serve and see a child light up as they begin to understand the love of Jesus. There's joy as you listen to high school students express their love and devotion towards their Savior, to the covenant family, and to God's mission around them. There's joy in that. There is wonder as you witness a brother or sister respond to the Word of God in prayer, in discipleship, in a community of, of, of folks meeting in someone's home. And we rejoice when we see the love of God bring a couple to a place of wholeness who have been suffering for a very long time. There is awe when you support a brother or sister through the burdens of life with confident hope, trusting that their Savior will safely see them home. There is thanksgiving when God's people freely give of themselves to count each other more significant and to serve and to minister the love of Christ and to give financially to the work of the kingdom of God in our midst. It's a beautiful thing. Yet honestly, there are times that I feel the burden and anxiousness to obligate you, to motivate you to serve in the nurseries or to minister along with our deacons, to support the mission in multiple outreaches of the church, to give financially to meet our financial need and the burden to think that I could in any way bring healing to a marriage. I have sinned. But then, oh, that precious but then, there's that humbling reality that only God can renew and motivate your heart in daily worship, discipleship, and mission. Only God can redeem and restore people that are at odds with one another. And Peter is saying here, stop thinking that you can solve anything in your own strength. Stop thinking that the future is in your hands and in your control. Rather, humble humble yourself before your mighty God, casting your anxieties upon the Lord. For only your mighty God can carry those burdens and renew lives effectively. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to know. God is not only almighty, He is also caring. It's a wonderful thing to know that God is not just caring, He is also almighty. He has both power and care 
to help us in our time of need. And thankfully, God makes this invitation to all of us who are not strong enough to bear the burdens and joys of life alone. Here it is. Take your worries, take your cares, take your burdens, take your anxieties and give them to me and leave them with me. Our Father in heaven, oh, as we give our anxieties to him, we rest secure in his mighty hand in Christ in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song there is peace there is unity there is strength in our humility before God and just in closing we must not forget the ultimate proof of his mighty hand and loving care he proved it by sending his own son to die a death that you deserve to die Christ died that your sins may be forgiven. He was raised to life with promise of your eternal life forevermore as you trust in Him. The issue of His might and care was settled for all time at the cross. So we start with the assurance rooted in history that God is all-powerful and that He cares. And on that basis, we can cast all of our anxieties, worries upon Him. For He loved us. He made us. He came for us. He died for us. He rose for us. He will come again for us. And He invites us into this intimate relationship with the Son today. So we trust Him. Oh, the blessings of hope, love, and humility. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power, forever and ever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your rich mercy and Your everlasting love, which You have given to us in Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In His exalted name, we pray that we would be a humble people, trusting You with all of life, casting all of our anxieties upon You with the assurance that You are able and that You care. Oh, Father, may we commit the whole of our life into Your gracious, mighty hand and seek Your kingdom for the glory of Your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.